Hello, welcome back to Country Roads Confidential here at earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. I am Mike Casaza, and the beat goes on here. I'm not going to provide a lot of commentary about things you already know, particularly how strange and inconvenient this is for everybody. I will simply thank you for pressing play here today, and if you have patronized our site in the past few days, um, my kindest regards to you. We are actually up in the major traffic metrics from one year to the other, which is mind-blowing because not only are we in a period without the NCAA tournament for the Mountaineers and without spring football for the Mountaineers, we're without sports in general right now. And to actually have more eyeballs on our work and more people in our communities and more people clicking and reading, it tells me a few things. One, you're all wonderful people. And I should express my appreciation. But also, there is a place and there is a need for sports and for discussion and for conversation about people and events and just topics in general right now. So, hey, if you're a subscriber, nothing wrong with going to our boards and reading something and throwing a comment at the end or just having a back and forth with somebody on the football board, on the basketball board, on the VIP board, heck, and the politics and religion board. We can still do that. We can be about as normal as we can be in our little space when we all understand everything around us is very abnormal right now. And if you're not a subscriber, well, one, why? And two, think about it. We have no idea how long we're going to be in this awkward phase without a round ball or a spheroid or coaches and whistles and shoulder pads and gym shorts could be indefinite for quite some time. There could be an end date announced in the near future. I hesitate to even say anything because the news just happens so fast and it is updated and refreshed so regularly that any type of a timestamp seems unnecessary. So, hey, thanks for being part of our little community that continues to march onward here, and thanks for at least considering joining. You don't have to, just consider it. And consider this my gift to you today, a very special guest on our podcast. When things pause like this, um, I don't know, you kind of grab your phone and you figure out, who do I know? Who can I talk to? Who has something interesting to say? You know, you're trying to talk to coaches and administrators and people who are important on the beat that we try to cover here at West Virginia. But when you're scanning through the alphabet, you come across people that you haven't talked to in a while or that you should talk to more often than you do. And we got one of them today. Joe Mazzula, assistant coach for the Boston Celtics, formerly head coach of Fairmont State, most notably point guard for the West Virginia Mountaineers from 2007 to 2011. And it's impossible to briefly describe his career as a player and now as a coach. But fortunately, he gave me so much of his time during a period where he's as stalled as anybody else right now. Um, The NBA season unplugged, unceremoniously, unexpectedly. And as I talked to him, he was pretty much under orders to stay inside until Monday. You know, he can go out and do some things, and he talks about that, but pretty much quarantined like many of us right now. Um, 
But we talked about what it's like for him, what the announcement was like, what his career ambitions are, college or the NBA, how much fun he had in the NCAA tournament in 2010, and why he is so hard on himself as a coach and the things that maybe he needs to improve. I'm not going to give it all away. It's an excellent listen. It's a great conversation. By far, more thanks to him than me. I do my part. He did his, and he always does his job very well. So without further delay, let me present to you my conversation with Joe Mazzulla. Welcome back. A special edition of Country Roads Confidential here at Earsports.com. Joined, as promised, by Joe Mazzulla, who not only took time out of his day, which I guess really isn't that hard right now, given everything, but he's off social media, and he decided to uh, hook back up with Skype to talk to everybody today. Uh, Joe, I'd ask you how you were doing or what you're doing, but I think it's a pretty easy answer right now. Not a lot going on, and you just kind of keep yourself busy? Yeah, I mean, I think you could make – everybody has a same amount of time every day, and you can make uh, the most of it or you could waste it. So, you know, um, obviously there's some hectic times around the house. we got two kids and my wife, so we drive each other crazy from time to time. But, you know, if you're – we all get the same amount of time, whether we're in the house or whether we're at the office or sitting at home. So it's just a matter of how you use it. And and uh, that's about it. Well, let's stick there because you are an assistant coach in the NBA right now. The NBA is suspended its season, but I'm sure you're not off. I'm sure that your bosses are in communication with you and you're talking to people. Um, what's the day-to-day like for you right now? I mean, it's, we're kind of up in the air because we don't know as far as our league, what's going on and if we'll go back to – if we'll be playing and stuff like that. But, I mean, it's just – I'm really just treating this as my first NBA offseason. Uh, you know, so I was obviously in the G League um, three years ago. But the crazy thing about that was I never had a chance to take a break and take a step back and d- take everything that I learned from that year in the G League because I left the season early to go be the head coach at Fairmont State. And then when I, when I went to be the head coach, I jumped right into recruiting, fundraising, and all those awesome offseason things that college head coaches get to do. Uh, so I never got to spend time uh, just marinating and learning and, and taking everything in as far as the professional game. So it's been a great year. I know we went through like 62, 63 games, and I'm just treating this as, as my off season for now and going back what I learned each game, what I learned from each staff member, just just learning as much as you can. Let's um, rewind not too far here because this is barely a week old for anybody here, but the NBA was really the first to be proactive and take action, and it happened abruptly too. Um, the, I don't know, 24 hours before and after, I'm imagining it was a whirlwind for you, and there's no blueprint for this. So you have no idea what to expect, but what was the process like as an NBA assistant coach or as a player in the NBA or an executive in the NBA? How fast was it happening? How were you communicating? And then how stunning was it when – March 12th, the decision comes down to suspend operations. Um, I mean, I think we we kind of felt like it was going to happen, I think. It, you know, not necessarily in the NBA, but around the world. Like, it was only a matter of time uh, before measures were taken. I think we were under the impression that it was either going to be – we thought it was going to be play without fans first, um, you know, and then, and then move to where we're at now if things, you know, grew or whatnot. So I think we were just – Going about our day as normal business, we were on a road trip getting ready to play. Um, I think we had just played Indiana. We were on our way flying to Milwaukee. And uh, what actually is, like, I had a uh, 
a stretch of scouts coming up for myself. So I was pretty drenched in is like, you know, watching all of our opponents, watching our games and figuring out, you know, what we're going to do from a scouting standpoint. So I didn't really pay too much attention to it. Um, but I think everything changed once Gobert went down with the virus. And I think that's when it kind of got real for everybody around the world, around the sports world. Um, so you, you go from just being entrenched into your assignments, doing your job. And then the next step is, you know, you're not, everything's kind of shut off. For people who aren't familiar, a lot of us probably are college basketball fans. So we think of the structure of an NBA bench and we see a bunch of people in suits, which is very different than college. We have the head coach, yeah. three assistants, and, you know, there's some GAs and managers and the director of ops. But the NBA, the bench and the assistant staff is much more expansive. Uh, describe that. And then what is your piece of that puzzle? I mean, I think it's a great dynamic. I, you know, I think uh, I think a lot of people have the wrong impression of professional sports. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have the wrong impression of uh, the NBA game. Um, you know, but I, I, I think it's ran like any one of the fortune 500 companies that people, whether it's Nike, Apple, Google, or such and such. So, you know, there, there are a lot of employees, but when there's a lot at stake, there needs to be a lot of employees and, uh, role definition is very important and, you know, just surrounding yourself around great people is important. So we have seven assistants, which I think is, uh, about average in the NBA. Now there might be between five and seven on most staffs. Um, so, you know, the front bench, obviously, are the most experienced and, and they deal more with the day-to-day coaching and practice outside of what the head coach does, um, planning of workouts and scouting. And uh, then you have your behind-the-bench assistants that uh, we have some scouting, but a lot of it is working with the younger guys and, and developing and whatnot there. So every staff is run differently. But, uh, you know, the great thing here is you're the head coach of your position. Uh, so the people that I work with on a daily basis, are, we are allowed to, to work with them and develop them as long as it's within the system of what the Celtics, you know, stand for on and off the court. And, uh, and then we collaborate with other assistants for what we think is important for our team. So it, uh, it's, it's actually great to be a part of. It's a lot of fun. How strange is it to work for the guy, he's the head coach of the Celtics, who was the head coach of the team that you played in the final <laughs> four with? You know, funny, you ask, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of small world stuff. Uh, how this happened so you know obviously you got first of all just the fact that coach Stevens um, you know hired me is is in itself uh, an honor yet a little strange and then he was in the final four and then Gordon Hayward was on Butler of the final four but then you have the other components of Brad Wanamaker and Kemba Walker were both at Pitt and UConn respectively when we were there so uh, there's a lot of small world situations going on with that and you know, we spent a lot of time laughing and joking about the old Big East and what that was. And I think the other day we were talking about, like, who has the best record versus each other. I think Wanamaker has that um, versus mm-hmm. UConn and West Virginia. Does Porter Gary McGee ever come up with conversations in the crossover? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it does a few times. It hasn't lately, but, you know, I think in the beginning it came up. It came up more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what's been um, What's been most rewarding about this for you because i imagine that you don't do this without your homework and you know what you're getting into and there's probably a ton of sacrifices time effort all that stuff to get in there but the back end of it is is going to be lucrative you think when you get further on but it sounds like right away you benefited from this too and i imagine that you wanted to experience some of those things but just in your position what's been best most rewarding i think the first most rewarding thing is i get more time with the family um you know i think the nba is it is very, very busy and there's a lot, but a lot of the work is isolated. Um, 
you know, in the sense of it's your laptop and it's when you're on the court with the guys. And then it's what you do from a personal development standpoint. Um, you know, college is a little less isolated. You're stretched in a lot more different directions. This week it could be basketball and scouting, but next week it could be, you know, fundraising. The week after that it could be recruiting. The week after that it could be study hall academics. So you're stretched in different directions, whereas the NBA is a little bit more isolated. This is what you have to do. Instead of working with 17 players, I'm working with three players. Uh, so, you know, I get a lot more family time, um, you know, throughout the entire year. But I think also just the, the, the mental – the mental side of that, I'm able to relax when I'm home, I'm home. You know, when you're home in college, you're, you're are you looking at your recruits, Twitter? Are you checking in with your, uh, your staff or your players to make sure that they're not doing anything that I did when I was in college or, you know, are you checking in with your donors? So it's, it's funny one day, like the first month or so I came home and pulled into the garage and I was like, man, I got nothing to worry about. <laughs> uh, so, you, so you just have a little bit more peace of mind, so to speak, which I think is for me personally, it helps me relax and be more present with my family. I think that's the biggest thing. It gets unplugged right now. And you say you have nothing to worry about and not to be glib here, but you all played the jazz maybe a week before um, the suspension. And then obviously everything is very unusual right now, but there's a whole bunch of space in between where you have questions, and no answers. Um, I have nothing to worry about. I, obviously, you know, whether you win or lose, you take that home with you. But it's just a different peace of mind is only having to worry about basketball and uh, certain aspects of it as opposed to worrying about, hey, we just beat such and such. I got to make sure these five kids get to class at 8 a.m. and three of them yeah. have C's and we got to help them pass their test. And I haven't talked to this donor in a while and I need to ask him for some money now. So, like, there's just a different peace of mind when you get home that, uh, for me personally, is a little bit better. Yeah, part of my awkward segue then, but I know what you're meant. I was trying to transition here, but in the, in the days after you guys play the Jazz and you find out that Gobert and then Mitchell and then you know I think there's a player from the Pistons has it. It's spreading. It's only natural to I don't know to man if you sniffle, you maybe panic a little bit. Um, how did you address your situation and then also your wife and your two sons' situation there? Um, we didn't. I mean, we just took it for what it was. Mm-hmm. Nothing you can do. I think you know a lot of when time when you're in situations like this the same principles that you apply to basketball or whatever you apply to life and you just control what you can. And, you know, this is a very unfortunate circumstance around the world, but you can only control what you can. So, you know, t- taking the advice that our doctors and, and the people are giving us about, you know, six to eight feet and washing your hands and, and, you know, X, Y, and Z, it's the only thing you can control. And we've just done a good job of that since all that has happened. And I think it's the only thing you can do. Um, you're in one of those hot spots, so to speak, right now, where everybody's on guard, and rightfully so. You told me that you're not allowed to leave your house until Monday. Um, I shouldn't say we're not allowed to leave our house, but it's uh, highly suggested to not. Um, correct. <laughs> so what do you all do? I mean, yeah, I guess you're not playing, like, Twister, but maybe board games, things like that. Is it just hanging out and, you know, you said you have more family time. This is even more family time. But, you know, you have two sons who I'm sure want to get out and run around and it's got to be difficult to say, no, hey, you can't go play pickup basketball right now. Hey, you can't have a right. sleepover. Yeah. I wish sleep. people, I wish kids were playing pickup basketball this day and age. Um, uh, we go outside in the front, like sidewalk. And actually, yesterday, my son was running light pole sprints. Uh, so I was doing things with him that my dad did with me. But we have pretty much a set schedule, you know, between eight and 11. It's make breakfast and we'll have an hour of class. Like this last week, he, uh, I bought him this like 3,000 piece Lego set. And, uh, you know, once we got in the house last week, it was like an hour a day, you got to chip away at it. So we finished that the other day. 
And then today we like started Spanish. Um, you know, so eight to 11 is like education breakfast. Um, you know, and then just reading his Bible in the morning and then he'll have like a half hour of whatever he wants to do. And then we'll come in the afternoon and work out and do some chores and, and whatnot. So we just put ourselves on a schedule of trying to maintain normalcy at the same time, like learning what you can, you know? What was the Lego project? Was it a Dunkin' Donut Center? Was it? <laughs> no, it's this treehouse that he got. We went to Legoland in New York City, and oh. he got uh, like this huge, this big treehouse. I don't know what it is, but it, it was impressive. And I'm glad he did it. So he's learning coding right now too. So I got him a book on coding, and he'll spend some time doing that. Um, you know, so just you got to create normalcy anytime that you can. So um, you know, the afternoon segment is like I said, chores, workout. Uh, he'll read and then nighttime we'll watch a movie together and you know six seven o'clock you're winding down anyway so let's uh let's dip back into something that's a little bit maybe more mainstream for you the coaching um experience and or more I think a lot uh of... or more appealing to listeners <laughs> no i actually like the lego thing i could have gone down that rabbit hole but maybe something <laughs> that if, if this continues on longer maybe we'll re uh, rebound and do it again but when you get into coaching, you're supposed to do certain things, you know, quote unquote, supposed to, you, you become a GA and then an assistant at a small school and you climb up the ladder. But you mentioned you bounced around a little bit, bounced around isn't right, but yours was not as linear as what maybe I described or other people would think where, you know, you're at Glenville, you're at Fairmont, you go to the G League, you go back to Fairmont and now you're in the NBA. Um, did you have a plan or a path or were you just trying to find the best opportunity that was next, trying to get to an ultimate destination at some point? No, I think my, my wife and I had an, uh, a plan. Um, no, we've always been, not to get too crazy into it, but we've always been uh, very faithful in, in, our, in our lives and our family. So when we got married, um, we knew we were going to have to live a certain type of way. Uh, one, because she had a son that, I was, that she was welcoming me into their family, and then we were becoming a family. So we weren't just going to bounce around and create this sense of, you know, this sense of like, oh, my God, we have to do this, this and this to get to where we wanted to go. We wanted to have uh, peace of mind and we wanted to have, you know, a certain lifestyle of comfort and uh, just really family uh, comfort more than anything else. So we just made a decision that we were always going to make the right decision, regardless of money or status of what that was. Um, you know, so we once we made that decision, I think everything else along the lines came there. So first was Glenville and. You know, I was there for two years and then we just made every move we made was we thought a gift from God, but also it just made sense. It made sense to go to Fairmont uh, because I had a relationship with Jared, because at the time it was a little bit of a more high profile job in the conference than such a Glenville. So it made sense to go to Fairmont. Um, and then, you know, as you as you're in it a little bit longer, you start to develop, OK, where do I want to be in five years where I want to be in 10 years? And, you know, where I want to be is I, I really wanted to be, I really wanted to join the NBA game. I love the NBA game. And, and make sure you ask me why I love it. And we can get into that a little bit later. But I wanted to be in professional sports. Um, you know, so the opportunity came at to go to the G League. It, it didn't make sense at all from a worldly standpoint, but it made sense to our family. So at the time, I took the G League spot. Um, my son had just been born, so he was three months old. My wife was working and she was in grad school. Um, so it made zero sense from that standpoint, but from our family and what we set out to do as a family and from where we thought God was leading us, it made perfect sense to go. So I left Fairmont to go be an assistant in the G League for you know next to no money while my wife was home with um, 
you know, my newborn son going to school and going to work and, you know, having a six-year-old at the time. Um, but in order for us to get to where we wanted to go, I had to go there. I had to learn. I had to pay my dues and I had to be in that setting. So we did that. And from that, we got the Fairmont State head coaching job. Um, you know, so we thought that sacrifice as a family paid off. And then you're at Fairmont for two years. And the funny thing about that is I thought I was going to be there for 10. You know, after my second season this past summer, I was actually in the process of like trying to build a practice facility. I was like, this is where I want to be. You know, our yeah. family's happy. Uh, we have everything we need. We have we have administrative support. We have community support. We have student support. Uh, we have a great recruiting class. Uh, just a great pipeline of of everything that you need. And it's like, you know, we're not going to be greedy. And then, you know, God opens up this door um, and it just made sense to take that next step. So, you know, along the way, we passed up a lot of opportunities that, you know, I think other people may have taken to get in a rush to where they want to go, but we were never in a rush to get to where we want to go. All right. Obviously, I'm going to ask you why I like the NBA game, but I'll get to that in a second because you have put a couple things on the table here that are pretty interesting. Um, you've yeah, done sure. a lot of cool things as a player, you know, prep basketball, prep soccer, um, yep. college basketball, all that stuff too. But to lead a team that, you know, you took over and then quickly, I don't want to say rebuilt, it was in a good spot, but quickly repositioned um, and then take them to the tournament in your second season. Where does that rank for you? I haven't even thought about that, to be honest with you. I thought I failed by not going there the first year. Joe. Um, <laughs> I mean, no one's asked me that question, but I've never once thought, like, wow, I accomplished something. I got to the NCAA tournament my second year. I just I was doing what I was supposed to do, and I thought I should have been done earlier. And, you know, um, you go back to what I learned from that, and, like, that was, like – like I said, it was it was everything happened so fast. So I don't we're in the we're getting ready for the playoffs in the G League, and the second Fairmont State loses in the national championship game, I already know I'm going back. Uh, so I get the call and I'm going back. And then you just you you have to be able to live off that momentum. So I use that momentum to get right into recruiting, um, and use that momentum to get right into fundraising. So like I said, I never took what I learned from the G League, but then as you're going a million miles an hour. You, I did a poor job developing what my identity was as a coach and what exactly I wanted to get accomplished from a basketball standpoint. And that's kind of why I, that's the one thing about college that I I don't like, or maybe I'm not good enough to learn yet is I didn't know how to maintain my basketball mind while maintaining my mind of everything else that I needed to get done. Um, so I just didn't do a great job on a coaching identity and what I wanted to do and what I wanted to get accomplished from a basketball, all the other stuff got in the way. You know, I missed the opportunity in the first year to to capitalize on some of that. But then that my first off season as a head coach, I was really able to go back and say, okay, you know, here are the three things that I failed at. Here's here's what we did. Here's what we can keep. And this is how we're going to, you know, maintain what Fairmont State basketball is all about. And, you know, I was able to slow down a little bit, catch my breath. And then that kind of helped us uh, get back to the NCAA tournament. But, I mean, I'm, a lot of it had to do with I was set up for success when I got there. And there was just great players there when I was there. And I was able to figure out a way to get it done. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Wow. Smell the roses a little bit sometimes, don't you? I could probably do a better job of that, yeah, but, you know, it's... It was a when great you retire, role, you yeah. got plenty of time. I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I think I know the answer to this question, but I'll uh, I'll hit you with this. Um, Jen, I'll have to tell you this: your name is very popular around here, and at some point in the future, they're going to need you know coaches to take over sports in college um, who are successful, whether in college or the NBA. Um, leave it at that too. But um, you travel both paths, and you've been the head coach and an assistant in college and been successful and you've been an assistant at two levels of the NBA and it sounds like you really like that and you're moving somewhere um I don't know if that leads you to one direction but certainly you have goals and it sounds like that you and your wife have talked things out and you know what you want to do and what you want to accomplish what what does your future look like is it at a certain level is it a certain job that just feels right or do you even plan that far ahead and as opportunities arise you feel them? well I mean I think to to make the leap that we made uh leaving being a head coach, leaving our family, leaving my, my wife was from West Virginia, um, mm-hmm. stepson's from West Virginia and Ohio. So leaving the comfort of what we did, you have to have somewhat of a plan at the same time, you know, remain flexible in what might happen. And, you know, when the opportunity uh, arose to come to Boston, it was like, okay, why would we go? And what do we want to get from that? And it was, you know, I want to, I want I want the chance to be an NBA head coach um, in the next 10 to 12 years, so to speak. You know, that was just the, time frame that we had and then speaking to the people um around the people that i knew around the nba and the and the people of um you know the celtics who you know we were working with i just simply asked the question like hey from what you know about me do you think i have an opportunity in the next 10 to 12 years to to be an nba head coach or to even get an interview for a head coach you know and you know and the answer was yes yeah. so you know and starting all over again uh, on the coaching track takes time. It could, it takes two years. It could take five. It could take 10. It could take 15. You don't know. Uh, but if you have an end goal in mind of, you know, that one day I'd love to be an NBA head coach. I'd love the opportunity to interview to be an NBA head coach. And, and, you know, if that doesn't happen, um, then my wife and I say we're willing to, you know, restart our timeline and see where that takes us. But we want to exhaust every option possible to get to that goal of one day having the opportunity to be an NBA head coach. And, you know, that's why, you know, it's one of the reasons why we made the jump to come to Boston. Excellent. I like a good plan there. Um, let's go to the NCAA tournament for a minute because you have a, a unique perspective here, I think, because you know, basketball was nearly taken away from you as a player. Um, pretty serious shoulder injury for a while. He had no idea if you would get back in. And you had to watch an NCAA tournament not knowing if you get back in. Um, not the same as what the seniors here have endured, but on any level as a competitor or as someone who has been through a Again, a similar experience. Can you describe or empathize what it's like for guys who, you know, worked seasons or years or lifetimes and then just didn't get this one time or maybe just didn't get this at all, uh, that tournament experience? I mean, I think you can't just narrow it down to that because there's so many other people that are affected by it. You look at all the players on our team and in the NBA that had a chance to go to the NBA finals this year. 
you know, you may never be able to replicate that momentum. You may never have, you know, there's going to be free agency this summer. You might not have the same team. You might not have the same connection that you have. So it, I don't think it's about the NCAA tournament or it's about the NBA. It's just everything around the world is is being abruptly come to an end. And, and I think it comes more about to how you handle situations like that. You know, um, what are you telling yourself about that? Are you upset about that and going to allow it to affect the next phase of your life or the next day or, or what the case may be. And it's a little bit easier for me to answer that now because of the stuff that I've been through in my life. I think as a college player, I'd probably be highly upset. Um, but I'm just as upset that we can't compete for what we're trying to do here in the NBA as of right now. Um, but there's also business people who can't compete at their at their craft the way they want to. So I think it's a good opportunity for us to just learn like, okay, like, it's not the last time in your life something's not going to go your way and you know how to handle that how did you get to that stuff like you and i joked before like you taught yourself how to brush your teeth right-handed and you were making right-handed layups and doing different things but it sounds like it was somewhat more complex for you than that just to get yourself together and, and onward and upward which by and large it's worked out 100 the right way but i don't know were there small victories or big victories for you was there a perspective or i don't know a change in attitude that you know, not just that first year, but just over time got you back to where you wanted to be and got you on this path now. I, don't know, I think there's small victories, big victories, small failures, big failures. You know, and we obviously have been through those in college, but you get in the coaching, you know, one thing I learned is nothing goes the way you want it to. So you got to be able to adapt. Um, and then just being in situations, uh, you know, once you get married, once you have kids, once you're a coach, there's a lot of variables that change. And um, just, I just think the biggest thing you learn is how to handle what comes your way and, and how do you frame that and how do you communicate that to yourself? You know, there are people, um, in society today that the same thing happens to two people. If the same thing happens to me and you, I'm going to handle it differently than you are. But we're, you know, at the end of the day, we're judged by how we handle that and how we turn that into an opportunity for us in the future, whether it's, you know, this is a great opportunity right now for us to connect, you know, my family, I've been on the go, um, you know, for four or five months. So this is the time to be present at home. This is the time to lock in as a parent. This is the time to lock in as a husband. This is the time to grow in, in my first year as an NBA coach. So there's so much that you could do at this time. My, the alternative is to sit there and just be mad that I can't go to work anymore <laughs> and it's not healthy. Um, so I think it's just over time, just learning how to handle different situations. We kind of have a, a, a muted celebration here. 10 years ago, you and the rest of the guys went to the final four. Um, and I don't know if they believe in anniversaries or stuff like that, but certainly stories that have been written about that. You probably would have had to answer a phone call from somebody and just talk about that experience. But, if you ever do look back, um, the one thing that I can think of about that experience is riding where I did with you guys was um, it just seemed like it was a lot of fun for you all throughout everything. Um, I'm sure it was hard and there were ups and downs, but it seemed like whenever you all had a chance to just enjoy it, whether it's at news conferences or if it's doing, you know, skits in your hotel room, um, that was a pretty loose group that was successful, maybe because of that, too. But I guess if the question would be phrased on why, just how much fun did you guys have during you know, a pretty pressure-packed run to the Big East and the NCAA. I, I thought we had a blast. I think it just it just was a testament to the relationships that we built um, during our time there. I think uh, me, Deshaun, Thurman, Johnny, uh, Wellington, hope I'm not forgetting anybody, but, like, most of us came in together as a freshman year. So we had a bond. And just like we talk about mindset and, 
in how we handle things. You know, we had some, we hit a rough patch um, our freshman year. We didn't make the NCAA tournament. Um, and then our coach leaves. So we have to rally together and handle that. And, you know, we're asked to play a different style and develop a new identity. So we're able to handle that. And, you know, I think that was just a culmination that year of, of relationships being built and, you know, us as players getting better. And then, you know, Hugs's identity and what he was trying to accomplish at West Virginia kind of coming into fruition as well. Um, so I think it was just a combination of all those things. And we just did a great job of, of not getting too wrapped up into it uh, and really enjoying the moment. What I will say about that is, though, is I think that cost us in the Duke game. Um, really? You know, I, I think the difference in the Duke game, and I can't speak for everybody, but if I know me personally, by the time I got to the game at 9 o'clock on Saturday, I was exhausted mentally and emotionally. And right. I think there's something to be said about, you know, I think Duke being there as often as they were, um, you know, they were able to probably be coached or work through that as an organization throughout that week where, you know, that week obviously we were fun and we were having a good time, but you know, the amount of emotional and mental energy that we that was required to just get to the game. Um, you know, if I could go back, I would have changed anything except just somehow learning how to, to save and extend your mental and emotional energy. Um, I was pretty tired by the time the game started and not physically. I remember the uh, – I think the fact that you all played Duke was one thing because there's always going to be an extra amount of attention – because it's Duke, um, you're going to have more reporters asking you questions and more TV cameras around too. But the fact that you all had played them a couple of years earlier, and I can remember poor Cam Thurman after the 2008 game, I think he cracked on. Was it Paulus? Uh, I think it was Gerald Henderson. Oh no, he cracked physically cracked Gerald Henderson. But I think in the locker room, he asked if Paulus was a McDonald's All American or something like that, and he couldn't uh, believe it. And like that yeah, became yeah. a thing four years later. We're like, man, are we really going to hold that against him? And like he had to deal with that for like four days before the tournament. And like, are we really doing that? But uh, you're right. The specter of that does seem like it could be for a lot for people too. But uh, I, I'm always curious about this. I hope that if you had it to do over, you would not rob us of the hotel room sketches. Oh, no, those are a blast. I mean, those are those highlights. I, mean, yeah, I remember you, you know, got mad because of Deadspin saying that it was worse than a sex tape. Was that, was that the right headline? Yes. Uh, yes. That's ridiculous. No, yes. I mean I wouldn't have changed that. It's just you know the, the the taking the time, the proper time to you know take a step back and say, okay, here's what we accomplished as a team. And you know, you leave your hotel at nine a.m. You have breakfast, you have film, you have practice at a gym, but then you have practice at the arena in front of people, and then you have media twice a day, and then you're filming the the commercials and the halftime shows and the introductions, and you're filming all that stuff. It just gets to be uh, draining, and if you don't take proper steps to you know, to work through that, um, you know, then it could, it could cost you some energy during the game. And I thought for me personally, it did that. And that was actually, that's one of the reasons why I've, I've learned to try and work on that. So, you know, when you're in situation, it's no different than my job now, you know, you got a game on Friday, you got to get on a flight and then you got a game the next day on Saturday, you know, do you have the, 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 the habits and the disciplines to, to maintain that mental and emotional energy to, to be at your best for everybody around you? Mm -hmm. Who was the mastermind of those sketches? I imagine Flowers was involved, but there were so many uh, dominant personalities there. It could have been anybody. I, I think I think there were so many of them. I can't remember which ones came first. I don't know if the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air one was first. Jive Turkey um, might have been up there, too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it was – I think anytime we all got together, we didn't need any help from each other developing ideas like that. So I would say we all played a, a part in that. 
there's we a didn't need any. There's a run of like press conference stuff you have to do where they sit at a, at a table with like I don't know a hundred reporters and TV cameras, and they can be brutal. I'm sure for players, but sometimes players are just so boring. No offense, that they're brutal for the media too, and you find yourself asking pointless questions. But you all were like refreshing during that time, and it never seemed like it was too much. And I can just remember like everybody had fun with reporters making fun of them. I think even lying about answers sometimes too. I think, Someone asked I think you, if I remember correctly, I think Pat Ford got mad at us for that though. It wasn't very happy that you weren't taking the occasion seriously. Yes, yes, yes. I remember that. And also, someone asked you if you'd ever started a game. I yeah, think. I remember that, too. So they, I think, and when, you know, I think you went to town on that guy, too. I mean, I, I, after being in the game as a coach for however long I've been, you obviously develop a different type of respect for what the media is trying to do. But I remember, you know, when Truck goes down and, you know, the, and, and unfortunately, that at that time, the media wasn't playing the story that was right. Like, they were playing the starting point guard goes down, uh, the backup has to come in, and what's the backup doing? And I was like, guys, like I've been here. This is like my fourth year in college basketball. Um, <laughs> and I think they asked me like, have you ever started a game, or like, you know, are you nervous about playing in a big game? And I was like, no, I've never played in a big game before. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I was like the East Regional MVP. I was what I get like player of the game when we beat Duke that two years before that or something like that. Correct. Yeah, two thousand eight. Um, yeah, and then yeah. you were by the way the regional MVP that what, two days later or something like that. Too, I was like, so. yeah, I've never played in a big game before. Um, that's a little bit of my hometown where I'm from. I probably could have answered a little bit better, but at the same time, you know, I I enjoy having fun with people. So uh, is this an opportunity for you to endorse the media that covered West Virginia basketball or maybe still yeah. covers? I think just endorsing the respect that I have for the media and understanding that they have a job too, you know, and, and uh, you know, sometimes you just, you got to go with the flow. And, All right, uh, let's wrap up here. Um, you are not on social media. You're a pretty busy guy. You said you don't really watch a lot of TV or get a lot of news. Um, how much, if at all, do you keep up with West Virginia basketball? Um, I watch every game. If, if like I'm in the locker room, you know, on the day of our game and their game's playing, I try to watch every single game as best really? I can. But I'm not, I, I, you know, now I watch it just as a fan, you know, try not to be judgmental or watch it as a coach or think anybody, you know, this idea would be better. I just like to just be a fan and watch it. What'd you think this year? Let's not even talk about last year, but this year seemed like a nice rebound, but also kind of like two seasons in one, and maybe they got deprived of the chance to have a third season. But uh, as a spectator who is a fan, but also probably can't help but that he's a coach, um, I don't know. Did you have any observations of that team that was young, but also um, a little bit experienced despite their youth? Uh, I think you said, I think they were just young. Um, you know, I think – they were playing really good basketball. Someone made a good point that I was talking to and said, you know, does the travel of the Big 12 wear on them towards the end of the year to where they're just there? You know, again, it goes back to are they physically, mentally, emotionally just from traveling so much? Is it hard for them to just maintain that level of competitiveness the entire time? And I know everyone's competitive and and you should, but, you know, I think they have the most travel out of anybody. And does that take a toll on you? So someone mentioned that. I thought that was a pretty interesting point. Um you know, but I thought they, they showed a lot of great things, and I think they, they they were young. I think they were playing above their youth earlier in the year. And, uh, you know, as you get into conference play with scouting reports and whatnot, teams tend to lock in on some of those tendencies. So, um, you know, I'm sure they're excited about what they have coming back next year. I forgot. You never actually did that Big 12 travel. It's um, It's got to be brutal. I think that's one thing. If you look at their records, they've kind of had that dip 
Yeah. Not the same, but like it, you're right. It has to wear on you a little bit. How could yeah, it not? I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I th- how could it not? And, you know, I think learning how to handle that is just as important as learning how to handle the entire season. So, uh, last one for you, Joe, and then we'll wrap up here. Um, you started with, um, John Beeline and then you guys get Huggins. And I think what's odd, but also pretty cool is that the core of that final four team was Beeline guys who became Huggins guys and also some Huggins guys who were always Huggins guys. And you hear that a lot this deep into his tenures that he's got, you know, quote unquote, my guys and they do certain things, but it's not for everybody. Um, but if you make it through, there's a certain personality, a characteristic, an identity of someone who has done one, two, three, four years of him, someone who signed up for it and takes it too. Um, what does it do to you as a player and how does a player adjust to that both immediately and then over time? So you can get to the finish line with him. What's the duty of playing for hugs? So what you say? Yeah, pretty much. Like, I mean, how do you how do you transition and fit his his mold? Because he's not going to change, right? No, he's not. And you know, I think when he came, um, it was a little easier for me to adjust than maybe some of the other players were because he was just asking me to do what I was probably brought to West Virginia to do, but didn't do a great job of it. My freshman year it was just play really hard and just play with that chip on your shoulder. Um, <laughs> You know, so that was easier for me than for others. But, you know, he's actually very easy to play for. Uh, you just – he asks you to do something and you just have to do it. Um, you know, and I think the part that he gets misunderstood for is, you know, hit this the psychological part of coaching. A lot of the stuff that he does is more psychological than anything else. I know they see the yelling or the, you know, the scowl on his face or whatnot. But a lot of it, he's just trying to get the competitive nature on you and he's trying to, to push you beyond that you can. So – if you just accept that and say, okay, like, all right, hugs, we get it. Like, I know what you're trying to do. I'll do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you take it as that instead of like, man, I can't believe this guy. You know, I mean, if you don't play the victim card, you can be very successful for him. Sometimes it's easy playing for him to take the victim and say, why me? Or why is he doing this? And in reality, the people that have succeeded in under him are the ones that have been pushed the, the hardest. Uh, so if you know that it's a little bit easier to accept. And I mean, I think if you're able to make it through playing for him, it's the ultimate, um, I think it's just the ultimate accomplishment because you know, you've been pushed, uh, physically, mentally, psychologically, uh, by a guy who cares and loves you and is just wants to win. So if you can get his approval, then, you know, you can pretty much get through, whatever it is in life that's going to happen to you. you Your dad getting sick, your kids getting sick, your wife getting whatever the case may be if you can get through him life's going to be relatively easy (laughs) (laughs) good good point uh well joe you've got my approval i asked you for 15 20 minutes and we went way over time but i appreciate that uh i wish you the best not only during this time uh with legos and spanish and coding but whenever this nba (laughs) thing gets gets going again uh onward and upward to you man i appreciate the time and uh i will talk to you soon okay yeah appreciate it man have uh you know everybody just good time to connect with people from West Virginia. I appreciate everything that they've done for me uh, as a player and in my time coaching there. Uh, My wife misses it there very much. She talks about it all the time, and uh, we thank you. So there you have it, our interview here at earsports.com with Joe Mazzula, currently an assistant coach in the NBA with the Boston Celtics, previously a star, as I said, in Providence, Rhode Island, at Bishop Hendrickson, and in between, certainly you remember his time on the hardwood at West Virginia, slapping the floor against Duke, talking trash to DeMarcus Cousins. 
missing darn near a whole year, having his career put in jeopardy by a growth plate fracture in his left shoulder, which is a heck of a thing for anybody, but especially if you're a left-handed basketball player. Went through a lot on the court and off the court during his time. He describes some of that, but you can tell that it certainly bleeds through to everything he says and does right now. Um, A terrific study in perception versus reality and how those two don't often square with one another. And you may not be in charge of perception. You are certainly in control of reality. And he has been triumphant in that regard for many, many years right now. Unusual career, but unusually specific about how and why he has controlled it the way he has. And we can assume he's got everything under wraps for whatever awaits him. Probably pretty safe to say he's leaning in one direction right now. Quick programming note here before we go. Going to continue to be creative here with podcasts and with content. So bookmark us. Check out our pods wherever you get yours. Pay attention to the feed. We'll have some stuff for you. We've been soliciting ideas for a series that Chris and I want to put together. Just kind of telling some stories or solving some mysteries about WVU sports of the years. So if you have an idea, let me know. Tweet me at Mike Casaza, M-I-K-E-C-A-S-A-Z-Z-A. Or if you happen to be a subscriber, hop on one of our boards, drop it in a thread, start a thread if you want to. The wheel keeps on spinning here, I promise, but you can be a spoke on the wheel and Help us go around and around for as long as this will continue. Where it stops, when it stops, we don't know, but we know it's got to keep going. That is all for this time. We will see you next time. For EarSports.com, I'm Mike Assassin.